0: This episode has been brought to you by Notion. As a CMO of Wild Apricot, I'm constantly asking my team questions like, how much is an email worth? How is that Google AdWords campaign performing? What's the ROI on that webinar we just held? At the business level, I'm asking about other metrics like, what's our CAC payback period? What was our net churn last month? And what was the average deal size for Q3 this year? These questions require multiple inputs from multiple different sources often involving multiple people who have access in different places. With Notion, you can bring all your data together in one place. It connects with key tools like Jira, Mixpanel, Zendesk, and MailChimp. It allows multiple stakeholders to collaborate to generate key business reports. And most importantly, it gives you one hub for all your business intelligence data so that you always have a pulse on your business. Get started for free at www.usenotion.com. That address again is www.usenotion.com. And now, on to the show.
1: You're listening to How to SaaS, the number one podcast to grow your cloud software company with marketing, sales, and customer success in just 10 minutes a day. Each episode will feature a tip, hack, or secret to take your SaaS company to the next level. And now, here's your host and growth strategist, Shiv
0: Narayanan. Hey, everybody, welcome to today's episode. I know it's been a while. It's actually been a three month hiatus, and with good reason. Uh, as you may or may not have heard, Wild Apricot was actually acquired in October of 2017. So I've been super bu- busy through the due diligence process leading up to the acquisition and then the announcement in itself to our customers on the market. And then since then, it's been knee deep in integration and strategic planning for 2018. So that's what's been taking up my time and why SaaS has taken a bit of a backseat. But not to worry, we've got a lot of amazing content coming your way in the upcoming months Um, actually one of the episodes that I'll be sharing in the future will be about the entire acquisition process to give you a behind the curtain look on all the different stages from all the way from LOI to close to the announcement to what follows after an acquisition is completed um, which is the phase that we are currently in right now and I think especially for the founders and CEOs that listen to this podcast if you haven't been through an acquisition it'll be a really illuminating episode. Uh, That episode has actually already been shot. I'm just waiting for it to get cleared by our new CEO uh, of the company, Personify, who acquired us, and the private equity firm that now owns us, who's uh, Rubicon. So be on the lookout for that. I'll be sharing that very shortly. But today we have a very special guest. His name is Paul Tashima. He's one of the titans of the Toronto tech scene. In fact, he is the co-founder of Eloqua, who was acquired by Oracle. You may have heard of Eloqua. It's an amazing marketing automation platform that's used by companies everywhere. So uh, Paul is a super experienced guy. He used to head up their customer success team. And now he's gone on to found a company called Nudge.ai, which enables sales organizations to leverage personal relationships in their outreach. Paul and I discuss how Nudge's focus on a product-led go-to-market strategy instead of being more sales and marketing driven. Topics we touch on include why Paul thinks the best product is finally starting to win in the marketplace, how Nudge found its first users, why Nudge hired customer success reps before investing into sales and marketing, and how Nudge managed to raise funding pre-revenue. In fact, they've raised $5 million, uh, pre-revenue. So as something incredible. And a lot of it is based on Paul's years of experience, his track record, and also the vision for Nudge. So we're gonna talk a lot about that. When you listen to the episode, I just want you to pay special attention to the wisdom and expertise Paul brings to the conversation. Uh, I really think there's a lot there for founders and CEOs to learn from. Uh, so just pay special attention to that and it, it'll really help you when figuring out your strategies or, or just operations day to day. And that's it guys, enjoy the episode. All right, Paul, welcome to the show. How's it
1: going? Great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for being on. Uh, so why don't you give the audience a little bit of background about yourself, and then we'll take you from there.
1: Great. I'm, uh, let's see, name's Paul Tashima. I'm currently the CEO and co-founder of Nudge.ai, uh, but I am a two-time entrepreneur. Um, I've been in the startup scene in Toronto since, uh, let's see, 2000. So my first company called Eloqua, uh, it was a 14-year 14, 14 journey to IPO, and then we were acquired by Oracle in 2012.
0: Right, so what what, did you, what was your role there? And t- talk about the, what that journey was like to get to that, that stage, and now you're kind of starting fresh too, right?
1: Yeah, so I was, uh, for for 10 of the years at Eloqua, I was head of customer strategy and success, so that's everything post-sales. Uh, account management, customer success, service, support, training, consulting. Um, had about 100 people working in that team, and um, it was a lot of fun but also really hard. I mean, the, no one even understood cloud, what cloud was back then. Um, and <laughs> certainly uh, customer success was not even really a role. Uh, so a lot of key learnings and a lot of hard work got us to sort of through that first 10 years.
0: And then you went from there and then you moved to another mammoth in Oracle.
1: We, we were acquired by Oracle. So the uh, you know, I had a lot of people in the team and um, we wanted to help transition it. So I stayed on for a year, helped land the company, help some of the enablement and go to market because all of a sudden you go from a 450 person company to a 120,000 person company, and um, which was an experience on its own, uh, but it was um, really to help make sure it was going to be successful. And then I left in October, 2013.
0: Right. And so fast forward to today and uh, talk a little bit about uh, Nudge AI and what led you to start this and where did the idea come from and and what are you hoping to accomplish with this company?
1: Yeah, At first, can I just say that like, it's... It is never a better time to be trying to build a startup and trying something new. And I think there's like 6,000 startups in Toronto alone, uh, six overall in North America. And it is a vibrant ecosystem. And so certainly I one of the reasons we did it again is because why else? Why else would you want to do it? It's a great, great place to be. Um, how we came up with the idea was we spent a lot of time working with marketing and salespeople over the 14-year span at Eloqua. And although marketing was getting better and better at personalizing the buying experience, it was really, when we looked over the side of the wall, the sales team is always the trust that the salesperson built with the customer that was the most important thing in closing the important business, the big deal. And so we wanted to do something to help those salespeople today be better at leveraging relationships and their network and how they go about and close business. And so that's how we created Nudge.ai
0: and so how does nudge do that how does because i guess you the types of sales teams that you're targeting is there are leads that are coming in and then it gets handed off to some sort of an account executive or who's trying to build a relationship and close a deal right is that your primary customer
1: well the, the the number one thing we do that will be different than anything else out there is we actually track strength of relationships so we will be able to tell if someone is a medium or a strong or a weak relationship which is very different than say being just connected on LinkedIn which you don't always know if that's, in fact, more and more, it's not a real relationship. Um, And I think that we do that by tracking, like, you know, emails, meetings, phone calls over time, and then bringing that all together to understand the history of your relationship with someone and whether it's getting stronger or weaker. And so because of that, sales teams, customer success people, account managers, we can tell them who actually has good relationships with either an account or a person you're trying to get in touch with. And as you know, a referral in is the best way to start any business call, any business relationship.
0: Right. So you would you would then hand off of a off a lead to the person that has the most cachet built with a particular account.
1: Or if you're an outbound rep, you're like, I have to get into Walmart, or I have to get into Cisco. Oh, uh, I didn't know that uh, this guy in our development organization actually knows someone high up in Cisco's marketing organization because they live in the same neighborhood. Or I, I didn't know that someone I just met at the conference last week actually has a really strong relationship and I can continue to build that and ask for help. So it's all about exposing those relationships in your network or in your business that could help you get access or get insight into an account. Right. So, um, and, and, you know, that seems really intuitive
0: because uh, the the relationship is the door into talking to a lead. But when you're talking about selling nudge into organizations, does that make it an easier sale? Or is there a big education curve for helping sales organizations understand that this kind of a tool can actually enable sales to do a better job?
1: So, so I think there's two things. One is that I do believe, um, actually there's three things. So first off, every salesperson realizes that relationship is important like you couldn't talk to a salesperson who doesn't either both love building relationships or realize it's the way to get deals done i mean 82 percent of all b2b buying cycles start with a referral that's so it, it, the 18 percent that don't are because people are hitting them with e-calls and emails every day and just catch them at the right time right um, the second thing is that any tool being put in a sales organization is hard to adopt because they don't adopt that many things i mean they've they have a cell phone. They have an email client. They have a LinkedIn profile, and they're then they're told to use CRM. Right. Uh, um, the third is though is that we have taken an approach to market that focuses on a freemium offering, so that plugs into think of like if you've ever used Reportive, it's kind of like next generation Reportive sits in your email. It's a Chrome extension, and we have 10,000 users on that platform, and so. Um, we actually can look and see which sales teams have already started to adopt the free version, which is a much easier call or email into a sales leader because his team's already using part of the product.
0: Right, right. So is there a threshold that you need to hit before you decide, okay, this organization now has four reps using our platform, let's now try to make a call to sell them our, our, our paid version?
1: I don't think we're quite at the, I mean, we certainly know it's more than three. I don't think we've got down to an exact science yet, but certainly the idea that active users over three you know know, in some of them by the way we have some accounts where they've got now 10 or 15 active users on the free product um, really allows us to have that first strong meeting with the decision maker and gets their attention Um, and uh, especially when he or she asks uh, the team hey what do you think about that product nudge you're trying and they come back and say um, yeah it's pretty good it's great we use it every day then it's even a, a better first meeting because you at least establish some form of value and trust
0: right and so how did the free users find you in the first place like how, how are people hearing about you what is what is the process there because on the paid freemium the to paid side you're you're really uh, relying heavily on the product there to generate your sales right so uh how do people find you in the first place
1: yeah you know you bring up a good point by the way, before I get into that um, yeah. a friend of mine and a very well known d c at a Bessemer called Byron Dieter' named byron Dieter said last year at Saster that the best product is finally starting to win, and so this idea of a product led go to market strategy is something that more and more startups are taking hard to do. not everyone's going to be a slack or an intercom or you know an Atlassian with jira, but if you when you does start to work, it becomes incredibly powerful, right. And so to your, your question, how do we get these free users, um, it, you know, it starts off with a lot of focus work on some classic fundamentals, which I'm sure you know from running marketing, you know, great organic search and content so that you're driving when people are looking for these types of things, they're finding you naturally, um, augmenting that with some social presence and social outreach and engagement, and then finally a layer of paid advertising to augment it even further. Um, and then over time, you can figure out what's working, how to optimize it, and then drive some more viral strategies within the product itself.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and out of those channels, you know, paid advertising, social, organic, which seems to work the, the most for you guys? And what does that look like in practice? Because it's not like people are searching for uh, AI or, you know, relationship measurement tools for sales on Google that often, or or are they?
1: Um, you know, if you use the phrase like social selling yeah. or sales enablement or sales, sales effectiveness, you can capture some of those terms. I, I mean, there's no question that the, the hardest but the, the best way to drive product growth is having the product be somewhat viral itself. And I mean, when i viral, be a K factor less than one. Typically, it's not, it's not actually viral. But um, second is just, a, you know, putting your nose to the grindstone and putting out good content and driving organic. Right. Um, I don't know how you get around that if you have to do that work.
0: Yeah, organic seems to be the way that... Because, you know, in the sales enablement keyword space, I would imagine you're competing with all kinds of uh, enterprise-level tools and with a freemium model, that gets expensive really quickly. So going the organic route seems to make more sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then I think that some very targeted... I mean, we were very successful using Facebook uh, for B2B, actually, user activation, especially with a lot of very strong lookalike audiences. So as soon as you develop some freemium base you can actually take that base and, and use it for a lookalike audience, uh, which is really compelling uh, in terms of the, the cost per new user you get out of Facebook.
0: Right, so so let's let's rewind a little bit. So how did you get your first users? What went into understanding the, the market and, and that the market actually needs this product? Because given that you are taking a product-centric approach, I imagine that you guys did a lot of uh, customer-focused development, right?
1: We, we did. We, we take a pretty aggressive approach in that we were putting people on alphas that we knew they would dislike just to learn. I think one of the biggest challenges of, of uh, any sort of product like this is ultimately the data, the quality of the data that's under the hood is what drives a lot of the experience for the user. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, in a demo demo environment, everything could work fine, but as soon as you sync with some user's personal Gmail account and their work account and you bring all the LinkedIn contacts and before you know it, like, the data doesn't look as good as you thought, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so a lot of early-stage involvement directly with users um, to get feedback on what was working, what was not. We then paired that with some interviews with senior leader people and mid-level managers to understand the needs of the sales organization. Mm-hmm. Right? And then we layered on some new tech, which I, would, I don't even know how you do this without it, like an intercom and a full story, so you could actually... At a very granular level, understand every user experience session they have, whether it's mobile, tablet, or desktop, and look for patterns of engagement, patterns of non-engagement, and then feed that also back to the product lifecycle.
0: And then um, slowly understanding, you know, where the adjustments need to be made, and and that's the user base that you've used to, you know, get, build the acquisition engine out as well for the organic and the and the Facebook stuff that you were talking about.
1: Yes, yes, that's correct. Right. Um, Talk
0: about uh, you guys raised five million dollars, right? So talk a little bit about that. Like, what went into? W- till what stage did you have to get to to be able to raise that kind of money? I think obviously your credibility and your your background lends to a big big part of that. But in terms of the company success, uh, how far did you need to get? What metrics did you need to hit before you could raise that kind of
1: money? Well, I mean, I think to, so. You are right that a huge part of us um, being able to raise was part of our experience and our focus on, uh, you know, the space we were in plus experience we had. Those things together. I will say that the it, in your, when you're trying to raise pre revenue, you have to have a really well thought through plan and vision of where you're going and why, and the issues that could come up and how you're going to win based on those issues. And then you need to have be going for a big idea, a big something that's a big problem to solve because. Um, it, you're not going to want, venture's not going to come and want to fund something that's not a big problem to solve because then there's not going to be a big output if you, if you do it. And so I'd say that we probably had less on the metric side. I mean, we had obviously users, we had engaged users, we had a well thought through strategic plan in the, in the space of CRM um, and certainly at our background, but we just did a lot of heavy thinking on how to approach this market. One of the things that we got uh, that was valuable as a second time entrepreneur for me was we got the chance to talk to six other founders in the space that had done spark startups before but maybe had had issues or exited earlier and why they didn't go as long or as far and that was extremely helpful in informing us how to make sure we build this company uh, for ultimate success.
0: So, right. so and, and I guess I'm assuming one of those founders was uh, was uh, Mark Organ of Influtive, who was your former colleague?
1: Uh, we chatted with Mark about a whole bunch of things. He didn't build a company, though, in the sales tool space. We were talking to some of the other companies, like um, there's a company called Refresh, or you remember, you remember Zobni? that used to yeah. sit in your... Yeah. So a couple of those guys, um, that was important. I will mention one other thing for any founder out there who's looking to raise money, you know, The one thing you don't want to do is wait till you need to raise money to start building relationships with venture. Uh, you got to start early, and it takes time. Really early. You should always be doing it.
0: Yeah, it could take take months or even years to get the right kind of uh, investor, and when you're really strapped for money, then you might end up taking some bad money, and that ends up hurting the company. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, You mentioned one thing that – Kirk Mayers, you said uh, it was pre-revenue, right? So uh, talk a little bit about that. why the decision to go pre-revenue for a product like this. Why not prove the traction out? And you guys were already doing some customer development. So you could have put out some alphas and beta products out there and and then raise money. So uh, why do it pre-revenue?
1: Yes, so sorry. We did have product in market, but it was the free product. We didn't have our our Uh, paid product out in market yet. So we certainly had a bunch of users with engagement data, and they could see that. Um, I mean we raised because we needed to raise to get to the next stage which was a revenue product and um, you know we had a plan that we felt we could execute based on that amount and lucky for us Omer's Ventures did their due diligence spent a lot of time working with us and they decided to to jump in with us and they've been a fantastic partner ever since.
0: You, you raise pre-revenue, but you already have the free product out there. What's the promise that you're making to the investors? Which is like we have something and we have some proof points, but how do you make the convincing pitch to say this can be a paid product that many of the users that are currently on the free model will upgrade to, and many of their teams will will migrate to or, or adopt as part of their ongoing sales operations?
1: Well, I, I, I think the you yeah. have to build a plan that it puts. Uh, assumptions in that seem reasonable. And when I mean reasonable, they're still aggressive, but that that could be achieved. And you have to demonstrate a confidence and experience that you can deliver against that plan. Um, And to be fair, it's harder for the venture side too, because they don't know, right? They don't know everything. Um, And and a plan is a plan, right? You haven't actually delivered on all the things you're going to say. And so I think that's part of that relationship building thing is over time, like, you know, Steve and I used to always say that you know, we're way better, we're not great pitch people, we're great at showing you the movie. And so if you start a relationship early with a venture firm or a bunch of venture different partners and say, hey, here's where we're at now, next time I talk to you, here's we're gonna be at here. And if you come back and then you're actually at that next stage, they start getting a feeling that you actually will deliver on everything you say. I mean, imagine if you do that three or four times over the course of a year and a half, uh, by the time you show them a plan, you say, oh, and here's what we're gonna do if you give us this money in six and 12 months they have a better feeling of whether you're going to deliver on it or not because you've shown them along the way. And so that's a that's a good way to help structure something that's hard to judge based on something that's you know not yet proven because it's a plan. Um and, and that's certainly part of what we did.
0: And just setting the right kinds of milestones and expectations and tracking towards that.
1: Yes. Yeah. And there's, and it's in the details too. I mean, you have to know things like what's a reasonable time to expect salespeople to ramp and sell something. What's a reasonable amount to get for a, for a deal in this space and how did you come up with that number for pricing and you know, how much do things cost? How, fa- what's the conversion rate you're going to get on a freemium offering going into a paid offering that you could, that's reasonable to assume will happen in what period of time. There's a whole bunch of things that goes in the assumptions and you need to really back up those assumptions because though that's what drives the actual trajectory of the plan.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so right now you guys are you said about 22 employees
1: yeah we're 22 employees right now
0: and it's been about a year and a half since you took on funding so are you able to share where you guys are in terms of revenue growth and what, what, what level you guys have reached so far
1: yeah so so it's actually just a little it's about a year so it's just about a year after we've taken the funding so we launched our paid product uh let's see, 30 days, days ago, maybe a little more, 40 days ago, right out of the gate, we closed our first 10 customers. Um, and we are building from there. Um, I'm actually actively hiring salespeople right now. So if you do know of anybody, um, <laughs> uh, but good, yeah, man. well, we have a plan that will take us into mid to late next year and i looking to go revenue right through there uh, till our next financing round.
0: I, I may actually know somebody that might be a good fit. I'll, I'll shoot you an email after. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, that's great. So thirty days, thirty days, and ten customers. That seems like good progress. So, what what does that process look like? Are you guys using your own tool to to go out there and get sales right now as well? And is it you know I know you mentioned like the organic side and um, to get customers, but are you also doing the traditional SDR type of AE model?
1: Yeah. So we have we have we have we're leveraging all three aspects of our go-to-market model, right? We're, We're we're calling into the freemium base when we see pockets of success. Um, we have an SDR who's using a process that includes nudge for sure in terms of outreach and engagement, uh, practicing, uh, you know, sipping our own champagne as they say. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I myself also use nudge every single day, multiple times a day to do that as well. And then we're also reaching into our network because, you know, another philosophy we have is our network is our net worth and whether we're reaching into our network to help or to look for referrals in um, we do, we're doing that on a regular basis as well. Um, so we are building an engine around the freemium plus, uh, a layered on outbound sales approach as well
0: right it would be good for you guys you know, on the content side to to show how nudge is using nudge to get customers for nudge you know that would be pretty like, kind of kind of meta but
1: a- absolutely and and um, i'll make sure that i'll mention the jackson you mentioned that
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool okay so Going looking looking ahead, right now your product, your paid product is launched, and uh, you have some acquisition channels that are working, and you're building out the sales team. What do you foresee as the biggest challenges, or have you come across some of them already?
1: So you know, other than the fact that there's you know a gazillion startups that they're all trying to do this or say they do the same thing, I think that the biggest challenge we face um, is that heads of sales and heads of customer success, well, more heads of sales to be fair. Um, you know, they've seen a lot of tech come through their doors, through sales reps. And I think that this idea, they kind of say, you know what? I love what you guys are doing, but someone's got to just pick up the phone and call somebody. That's what I want them to do. I don't want them to bring another tech stack. And so part of our go to market model of using freemium is really helpful because it's not just me pitching that we had value. They can actually look at the reps using it and they can say themselves, hmm, which reps are the top performers? Are the ones that are top performers using Nudge? Hmm. If so, maybe this is the one tool, additional tool I want to put in and maybe take something else out. Um, And so that process for us is very helpful because heads of sales today are inundated with this extra piece of tech that they should add to their tech stack. Mm -hmm.
0: And there's so many... Tools to add, right? So you, I even think for our sales team, it seems like an interesting tool. But um, we would need to kind of go through your buyer journey to completely understand how valuable this tool is and if it can actually improve our process, right? So, but it it's definitely looks—it it makes sense theoretically. You have better relationships, you close more deals, right? That's kind of like the tagline. But uh, yeah, it's an, so, and and I guess connected to this topic and. Given that you're the customer success guy, it's important to ask: Is uh, let's say you do sell a deal in, what's the plan to retain the customer? Because with a tool like this, and it's a Google Chrome extension, people could use it, people could ignore it, people could uninstall it. You know, it's not it's not mission critical, if you will, right? So what's and I should be clear:
1: the Chrome extension is the free piece. We have a full platform that gets integrated under behind the scenes as well. So I just want to make sure that's clear. So yeah, we have a, we have a much a fuller platform on the B2B side that does also integrate with Slack and sales loft and CRM and and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, so your point on CS is super important. I actually have two CS people already on board. And so we are investing heavily in CS and not only just to retain customers, but at this stage of any business in the early days, they're, they're almost like pseudo product managers. I mean, they give a lot of direct feedback to the engineering organization on critical customer feedback. And um, they really help steer that chip for us. So I believe in investing in CS really early, and I've done so even before I've hired my first. Uh, you know, I'm obviously a CS selling right now, but I've done hired CS before even our first salesperson.
0: Right. That's and that's the right attitude, right? Because I think for you guys, what seems to be a challenge right now is you, you just launched the product, but you, some of your core metrics, you don't have a handle on yet I'm, I'm assuming because you need to know what's the lifetime value of a customer once you acquire them and that tells you how much can you spend up front on the marketing activities so uh investing in customer success at the beginning makes a lot more sense than let's say hiring three more salespeople or, or over hiring on the marketing side
1: yes absolutely
0: awesome okay so looking looking ahead uh just just talking about the the theory or um, the concept of having more AI-driven tools in sales, where do you see that market moving? Do you see just sales evolving more and more where these tools become just a regular part of day-to-day life?
1: I think so. You know, I think there's been two big sort of waves with AI and sales. One is kind of uh, more the chat box slash, you know, um, the AI engine itself talking or engaging with customers or potential customers. And then there's been a wave focusing on, more backend grunt work type operations. And I would say that um, for me, I feel that sales is such an art form, as much as science and process, that you really need to save that human interaction for the person. <laughs> so I think that salespeople who love meeting people, building relationships is the best part of business for them. Um, they need to spend more time doing that and less time researching or setting up Google News Alerts and doing all the stuff that they've done to date. And so I think AI focused on some of the more backend tasks that are still required but challenging sometimes to do at scale is where you're going to see a bigger trend and then freeing up more salesperson salesperson's time to go out and do the human to human interaction that's where i believe it's heading
0: do, do, do you see nudge coming out with additional products in the future where you know right now chat bots are People are talking about trap all the time, but you know, things like that that evolve the product suite of Nudge, or do you see it being a singularly focused product, at least in the near future?
1: Oh, it'll I mean, with the relationship strength piece being the core, we're gonna have lots of different additional products come out. I mean, we do have our own Slack bot, chatbot that you can engage with. Um but to be fair, if you're if you're a salesperson, you don't use Slack for that or don't talk to your SDR in their that channel, it's not effective for you. Uh and so I think that you, we will continue to grow the product lines. I mean, Eloqua itself, back in the day, started as an online chat system and ended up being something completely different, a marketing automation system. So I think that we will definitely be smart about where we continue to grow the roadmap based on what, where the market's headed.
0: Um, okay. Uh, I think we're nearing the end of the interview, but are there any final thoughts that you want to share based on your journey so far over the last uh, year to year and a half?
1: Um, you know, I think, I think the last thing I would just say is, is I go back to the original... Uh, thing about the Toronto ecosystem is that, you know, the one thing I would suggest to all entrepreneurs who are looking out there is that if you're having struggles or challenges, everyone does, ask for help. Find someone who can help you. Um, Or conversely, when you're doing well, go and help someone else who needs help. I think that's what we need to do more of. And, um, you know, I used to be told as a first-time entrepreneur, keep your head down, don't talk to anybody, just focus on what you're doing. (laughs) And to some extent, I understand that, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. But this time around, Steve and I have focused so much more on helping others, and it's really paid back. As we've then helped others, when they come back and we say, "Hey, can you help us by getting us in here or trying to nudge this way or doing that," all of a sudden it's it's a it's a sort of a circular uh, loop of like of, of we've given to them, they've given back to us, and I can't tell you how valuable that is as an entrepreneur to have that support system.
0: I think that's the perfectly right philosophy. Just keep giving and somehow the universe will conspire to give back to you. <laughs>
1: yes, your network, as, your network is your net worth, as we say here. So, Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, and last but not least, uh, Paul, I just want to appreciate you for taking the time for doing this. You have a lot of awesome experience over the last uh, decade or more, and I uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing that story. And I wish you and uh, Nudge the best.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll see each other again soon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks.
1: That's it for today's
0: episode, guys. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes and to check us out at www.howtosass.com, and we will see you next time.